We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Next all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. All right, here we go. Salute to Knicks Nation. We got a special edition of Knicks Fan TV. It is the game of the week. Nikola Jokic, the leading candidate for MVP, brings his West leading Denver Nuggets to MSG to take on Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, RJ Bath, the New York Knicks. And joining us today is uh, our guy, Nikias Duncan, man. He, he covers the NBA for basketballnews.com. Also co-hosts the Dunker Spot podcast with Steve Jones. Nikias, welcome to Knicks Fan TV, man. Happy to have you on, bro. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. A little surprised to be here. I'm still trying to get in the good graces with the fan base overall. So this is a nice <laughs> first step. This is it. <laughs> to repair the image a little bit. But hey. No. Happy to be here, man. Glad to connect. Hey, you came to the right place, man. So so we definitely appreciate the time. And, uh, you know, speaking of those Knicks, you know, 41 and 30 right now in the campaign as we record this. Fifth in the East, but they are battling. What's been been your impressions of this team overall this season? I've had a lot of fun watching this team, which a little bit of a surprise for me. Like, I (laughs) headed into the year thinking, okay, this could be, you know, between like the six to eight seed, six to nine seed, somewhere in that range. Yeah, me too. Um, the things too. broke right. Just looking at the rest of the East, like I, I like some of what they did over the offseason. Like I like the Jalen Brunson move. I didn't expect it to hit the way that it has. Yeah. I did not expect this kind of jump from Jalen Brunson as a lead creator. And getting a little bit more granular, like watching the second unit, like that's something that's carried over for me since the second half of last year. Like, hey, these guys really run when some of the starters go to the bench. Yeah, and that feels like that is carried over into this season. Like I've I've really enjoyed the growth of Emmanuel quickly this year. Talked about that a little bit earlier this week. Um, it, it's just been a fun group. The offense is so much better than I thought it was going to be this season. The defense a little bit below the level that I thought it would be, but they found enough balance. And ultimately, they're doing a great job of limiting mistakes on both ends, and that's kind of how they've been able to rack up wins. So it's been a really impressive regular season for them so far. Yeah, no question. And I was with you. I I thought it was anywhere between six to eight. I did look at Chicago as taking a step back. I didn't think Atlanta was going to be that good. But I think Brooklyn dealing Kyrie and KD 
open things up between that five and six range where and and you know combine that with the fact that Knicks are playing well I think the the heart trade has kind of propelled them into that that top five area so uh good things are happening and and you mentioned the offense and since Tom Thibodeau made that rotation change on on, uh, on December 4th the 31 and 17 third ranked offense uh fifth overall on the season but for a team that doesn't shoot the ball as, as efficiently as, as they do, or they don't shoot the ball as efficiently, what do you think? Why do you think that that offense has been able to be a, a top five offense in the league when they affect the field goal percentage is low, three point percentage is not that great? Uh, what, what do you think that is? Um, it's ultimately taking care of the ball and kind of owning things inside of 18 feet. Like the thing with Jalen Brunson, with the pacing that he plays with, one, again, just does not make mistakes very often, but two, he may just be the most efficient scorer within like five to 10 feet in the NBA. Like he has a floater that I feel like never misses and yeah. brief aside, hope Jalen Brunson is back soon. Yeah. He gets where he's able to uh, maintain the play that he was having. Cause what he's been doing in 2023 overall has been insane stuff. It's been all NBA level stuff. I don't think he makes a team this year to be frank, but yeah. like that's the level that he was playing on um, over the last few months before going down. Um, but yeah, it's Brunson owning that area. It's Julius Randle being able to score officially inside the arc, being able to get to the free throw line. And it's also owning the offensive glass. And like, that's a big testament to what Mitchell Robinson has been able to do. Uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about the Snapchat thing or not <laughs> on the show today, yeah. but being able to win the possession battle, I think has been the big thing. If you're not going to win the math battle in terms of threes, like at the very least, you have to be efficient inside the arc. You have to get the easy ones, get to the free throw line. Free throws are still the most efficient shot in basketball. And if you miss, it helps to have extra chances at it. And that's what having Mitchell Robinson, um, even having a guy like Josh Hart is one yeah. of the best rebounders at his position. Like that helps Emmanuel quickly seems to always get a timely offensive rebound. So that's fun. Mm. So that I think that's really been the big thing. It's really staying at, staying out their way like it's not anything super elaborate like they do run some nice sets offensively mm. but ultimately it's just we are finding a matchup we're picking at it we are putting our shoulders into your chest whether it's Julius Randle whether it's Jalen Brunson who remains one of the more underrated post-up guards in the NBA still it's RJ Barrett get downhill I'm sure we'll talk about RJ on the show as well and that's kind of been it man on the inside the arc in terms of getting good shots down there and generating extra possessions yeah, I guess we could get it out. Good. No, I guess I was like, I guess we could rip the bandaid off now and just talk about RJ Barrett and just <laughs> what have your thoughts been about his season? Because to start off, he took a step back. Um, maybe it was because he got a larger role than he did last season. You know, last year you had Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, Julius Randle, and those were kind of like your big three trying to work it out and figure it out schematically. But then after the Kemba benching, you know, you'd still see RJ just stuck in the corner, wouldn't get his like a full range of touches. Now you're seeing that he's more involved. So do you think it's maybe like a step up being that third option? Like, what are your, what are your thoughts about RJ this season? Um, It's been an up and down season for him for sure. I think it was expected for him to have some sort of adjustment period, bringing Jalen Brunson into the fold, because I think what really popped during the second half of last season, where he was stringing together these 30 point games is that he got to dictate a lot with the ball in his hands. And it wasn't just Julius Randle starts on one side, the ball swings over here. Now RJ gets to, uh, gets a swing at it. Like he got to bring it up. Sometimes he got to initiate some sets and especially initiating stuff on the right side of the floor. So he gets that strong hand. And I think just having that comfort of knowing what his role was, bred some confidence. Cause even at his worst, he was always a guy that could get two feet in the paint. And that's incredibly valuable. 
and he can make basic reads from there. And so you had the foundation of a productive offensive player. You just need the shot to fall and kind of zooming out what would the intermediate scoring look like? Will he get to a pull-up two? Will he be able to knock down floaters at a consistent basis? I would like to see more growth there. But once you add Jalen Brunson to the fold, it does slide right back to him being kind of number three and spotting up more. And RJ has notoriously been a slow starter in terms of shooting. It feels like every year it's first month and a half of the season, RJ Bear shooting 23% from three. What's happening? Should yeah. they trade him? Is he a bust, et cetera, et cetera? And then he has a 40% streak and he's right back to normal. It's like, okay, he's back. Um, so slow start plus adjustment to the role is kind of where I think the wonkiness has come in. I will say what's disappointed me with RJ this season has been the defense. Cause I yeah. also penciled in that just being at a level and I really enjoyed that aspect of his game last year. So I figured heading into the year, a little bit of adjustment period. We'll see where the efficiency lies, but he will get to the paint. That's going to be valuable. He'll be able to attack scram, uh, scrambly defenses. If Julius or uh, Jalen Brunson were able to do that and he will be able to defend multiple positions and do so well. And so when the defense slipped on top of the offense, not being where it needed to be, that's where it's like, what are we doing here? Mm. This is where Quentin Grimes is popping a little bit more in his minutes, even independent of what RJ was doing. But when you juxtapose the quick decision-making from Quentin Grimes, the defense from Quentin Grimes, the shooting, the movement shooting, and then you see RJ, it's like, what is this? And that's not always fair to him, but it's a visible difference in the comfort level and what you were getting on a night-to-night basis. Um, so Where's as it? he's getting more comfortable offensively, as the defense is finally starting to perk up some, we're starting to see what Nick fans have been excited about with RJ all along. And where is your expectation for RJ moving forward? Do you think he'll be fine this league? Like, do you expect it to be like next year? Like we see the full entire thing. What about, what do you think about RJ for that? Mm, in terms of expectation, I'm honestly, I'm not sure. And like, I don't mean that in a negative sense. It's really just saying, well, I'm more curious about what the Knicks do from here. Cause I think part of adding Jay Brunson big picture was, okay, this is the step that helps us make the big swing to get the superstar in the building. And so I don't know who that guy may be on the market. And so in like trying to factor that in is kind of where I'm like, well, hey, if they do decide this is the offseason to make a big swing, is RJ included? And right. if he isn't, because they right. have a whole bunch of picks, do we have a whole do we have another adjustment period offensively? To where like just throw a name out there. Like if they go for a front court guy, if things go wonky in Minnesota and they see what's up with Cat. I don't know. I'm not source, I'm not doing any of that. Yeah. But like what does that adjustment period on offense look like? He has more space to operate with, but now he's third or fourth in touches now. And so factor that in, I don't know what that adjustment period is gonna be like. Um, I do think overall RJ's gonna be fine though. Like there's just too much talent there. I think he plays a very important position at the wing. And again, there is a foundation of two feet in the paint on offense strong defense when he's locked in and I think that gives him a floor of being productive so I don't think he's going to be bad um but I can't really project what kind of leap may be coming yeah. uh, as soon as next season because I just don't know what his role is going to be yeah yeah I agree 100 percent on everything you said on RJ I think the ceiling is hard to project because you just don't know if he's going to be here number one uh, and they kind of gave you a preview of that when they were trying to get Spider Mitchell in here and didn't get it and so with with Brunson here having the year he's having with Julius here having the year he's having RJ could be that piece that you deal to upgrade the team even more. So it's just not clear. And, and I think it also depends on how they finish in the playoffs and, and mm-hmm. what's out there in the offseason. But defensively, I agree with you 100%. That that was my biggest surprise um, because it's been the worst of, of his four-year career. And it's an important position at the wing where, where we need him to be to be average at best. You, you know what I mean? Or, or, you know, average at worst. Sorry. So... 
Um, the, the the defense has been uh, has been tough to watch. And then offensively, I agree as well. I think there's been an adjustment period with uh, being that third role, being in that third role with with uh, with Jalen and, and Julius. And I think it's why when Tibbs does stagger those lineups, you see RJ running with that second unit exclusively. And so that's mm-hmm. really that area where I want him to own and, and be that primary score and playmaker for that unit. Since Brunson's been out of the lineup, seems like, He's been a lot more aggressive, both as a starter and running with that second unit. So it's something to watch there. Hopefully he he can adjust, you know, but really just running with that second unit is is his spotlight. It's his time. So uh, I really want to see him um him own that. Um on the quickly front, you had you had mentioned on, on the uh low post podcast that you felt like uh quickly and not Brunson was the most improved Nick. And I agree with you there because I felt like, you know, in the playoffs, we saw Brunson you know, as that primary guy, what what he could do. So it, it was kind of like tailing into this season, but quickly for me has made a significant jump in year three, both offensively and defensively. What, what have you seen from quick this year? Um, a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of energy. Uh, a brief aside, like I was in Miami for the Heat Knicks game in which Julius Randle just did not miss anything that he took <laughs> in knockdown, ridiculous shot after ridiculous shot after right. ridiculous shot. But like what really stood out was that fourth quarter run from Emmanuel quickly where he's he's knocking down floaters, he's knocking down pull-up threes, he is running around the entire court after knocking down these shots. Right. And it's just like he's just a bundle of joy to watch. And like that's not basketball analysis. But like guys like that really invigorate a crowd. That really gets your team going. I just yeah. enjoy I just enjoy the joy that he plays with. Uh, but as far as the basketball stuff goes, decision making inside the arc has gotten better for Emmanuel quickly. The floater has been one of the most efficient in the NBA among high volume guys. Uh, the pull up shooting got off to a slow start. That's starting to come back around, but that's something that you already kind of bake in with who he is. Mm-hmm. The defense is what's really popped for me this year, and we saw signs of that last year. But this year, the screen navigation has just been airtight. Mm-hmm. And some of the rotations that he's making off the ball, it's like it's a young guard that's finally starting to get it and that's using the length and athleticism that he has. And it's turned him into one of the best point of attack defenders in the NBA so far. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the Knicks bench units, the Knicks bench unit has been one of, if not the best bench unit in the NBA. Yeah. And a lot of that is driven by what Emmanuel quickly is doing on both ends of the floor. That's kind of my brief elevator pitch and what I've seen. Yeah, no question. Uh, do do you see Brockton running away with the Six Man of the Year award, or or do you think quickly has has earned uh, has earned some some votes here? Uh, I don't think Brockton runs away with it. Um, when I did my uh, awards check in, I've done two. I'm going to do another one the last day of the season. Um, I had quickly second. I had Brockton first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a race that's going to be neck and neck. Um, and if he continues to if quickly continues to pop like this, if the Knicks are able to continue to string. Uh, string wins together, mm-hmm. and if the Celtics continue to slide, like right. I can imagine, like recency bias may tie in uh, with some of the voters. Like, yeah, Boston looked kind of wonky. Malcolm Brogdon has had one of the weirdest finishing seasons that I've seen from a caliber of finisher. Yeah, uh, yeah. my time covering basketball, yeah. like he just could not make layups the first couple of months of the season, and got that rolling. He's been shooting well from three all year. Yeah. Uh, this is the Celtics podcast. We'll leave that. For right, right. I think quickly has a chance to win the award. For there sure. you go. There you go. Uh, and That's what we want to hear. <laughs> right. <laughs> once again, we're talking to Nikias Duncan, uh, basketballdudes.com, also a co-host of the Dunker Spot podcast. So make sure you check him out on those platforms. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, Nikias, as we mentioned now after the Knicks win in Portland. Mitchell Robinson, who had a tough West Coast trip. He had a tough time going at it with with Sabonis. Uh, He had to deal with AD. He had a tough go at it. And, you know, Clipper game was a little bit rough as well. 
Uh, he went on Snapchat and, and voiced his frustration with not being involved in the offense. He, he uh, uh, likened it to running cardio at 48 minutes. And now it's this morning, as we record this podcast, uh, Mitch is a friend of Knicks Fan TV. He, he, he went on Instagram, replied to the post that we did put the Snapchat post up there. And he replied saying that, uh, you know, he, he voiced his frustration in the wrong way. He was contrite about it, said he's going through some personal things, uh, but but he has to do better and, and he wants to find himself. In terms of his role with this offense and what you see from him, what what do you think about that situation? Uh, well, first, like props to Mitchell Robinson for the season that he's had, also yeah. just taking that immediate accountability. And just a brief reminder, these dudes are human, man. Like, yeah. I just feel like fans at large see basketball player millions of dollars. You should be happy no matter what. Yeah. Because you could be working nine hours at this grocery store or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And like, I feel that, but you got to think about the mentality it takes to even get to the NBA. Right. And to be in position to even earn those kinds of dollars Mm -hmm. and the amount of self-belief that these guys have to get to this spot. And so, yeah, if I'm Mitchell Robinson and I feel like I have a 86 inch vertical leap and I can catch lives and dunk on anybody, and I'm playing with these guards that get downhill all the time. Yeah, I want to get some touches. Yeah. And once you factor in what he's doing without those touches, um, particularly the offensive rebounding, uh, the growth that he's shown defensively, like, hey, as as important as help defense and rotations is within Tiff's scheme defensively, he has to clean up a lot in yeah. terms of shot contests, shot blocks, and just cleaning the glass in general. And, like, he's taking steps in all of those areas. I understand his plight in wanting more touches. Mm. And I do think there are some pockets in which he can get more touches. Um, it feels like if it's like a Brunson, Randall, pick and roll, or whoever's running pick and roll, Randall, like uh, Mitch Robinson is normally in the dunker spot. Mm-hmm. And so depending on how the defense reacts to that, like there are some dump off or some lob opportunities. Mm-hmm. Some of those are missed. I would also say there is room for Mitchell Robinson to make himself more of uh, an open player. Mm-hmm. Like I think the screening has been a problem for him for most of his career. Right. And it has gotten better this year. I still would not deem him as a good screener. And so like more contact and open up bigger windows that make those passing windows a little bit more obvious for his guards, whoever's handling. And so mm-hmm. that may feed him more lob opportunities. Mm-hmm. And even after screening, I was watching uh, the Portland game um, a little bit earlier for hopping on here, just kind of refreshed. I didn't catch that one live. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at some of the screens being set. He seals Portland sinks in to like tag the roll. So he's doing his job and open things up mm-hmm. rolling in seal. It feels it felt like a lot of screen rolled and kind of peter out mm. to the dunker spot area. And mm. it's like, yeah, you're te- you can be found if you're playing with an elite passer. The Knicks don't have one of those on the roster, mm. so you got to make it more obvious. Like if you get a smaller guy sinking in to tag the roll, put him on your hip, yeah, like yeah. force them to make that pass. Yeah, and you can get a couple of easy duck ins just like that. Like they don't have to call plays for you. So like that's an area where even without having game plan touches, he can kind of force the issue in that regard. So I, I understand where he's coming from. I would say like fans kind of chill out. Like players are allowed to express frustration within mm-hmm. their roles. Um, I remember seeing, when I saw the Snapchat post posted on Twitter and I was reading the comments. And it's a whole lot of, oh, he's going to kill the vibe. Stop being selfish. Yeah, da, yeah. Da, da, da. And it's like, no, he's young. He's good. He's made growth. He wants to touch the ball. Like that's very human. Like it's fine. The Knicks can find him. He can also do a better job of getting himself open. Like yeah. I think all of those things can be true. True story. Al, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with everything that Nakias just said. And 
<clears throat> I think the other thing too with like Robinson Wright is that I just would have liked him to do it in house, like talk to him, talk to somebody about it, then post on social media just because it draws that negative attention as well. Um, and I think that's just a learning experience, right? And you know, I also feel for some of these players because after the game, who who do you get to go go, go talk to to like say in confidence, like, hey, you know, I'd like to get some more touches, and does that throw off the vibe of like? what's going on on the team. So I can only imagine that there's a limited circle that Mitch can actually talk to, to express his feelings. Mm. But at the same time, as Nakai has pointed out, like you could do a better job screening. You could, you could attack the basket a little bit harder. I think something that I, I missed the Knicks were doing a little bit earlier in the season before his injury was that they were actually giving him touches in the post to get some like post work, yeah. you know, like yeah. they were saying, yo, let's see if you can use like your footwork, finish around the rim. And I can only imagine as a player the amount of work that he put in during the offseason. I'm not asking for Mitch to take threes or anything like that, but we know that he's working on his post game, even though that's not always shared on Instagram or whatever social media platform. Mm-hmm. But I also think that as a player that if you put in this much work, the best time you're going to get those opportunities is game action. Like you can only do so much in practice. So I think it's also on the Knicks, like Tom Thibodeau himself, like, you know, we were doing that at the beginning of this season. Let's, let's do that again so that way we can get Mitch some opportunities and let him improve as – that type of big and no one's saying he has to get 10 touches a game in that situation, but at least give him some opportunities to develop that part of his game, you know, outside of just being a rim runner. I think that's also what he's looking for as well. But other than that, like, you know, it's, it's a situation that we hope Mitch just grow, learns and grows from and doesn't do it again, even though this is like what the third time that he's done that. So (laughs) just, just relax, Mitch, just relax. We all feel you though. We all feel you. Yeah. You know, look, no, get bro. Good. I was going to say, you can bounce off of that. Like, I feel like the frustration may be heightened for him just because, in general, there aren't a ton of opportunities there. Right. Like, one, he's just fifth in the pecking order offensively. Yeah. And then you factor in, as you talked about at the top, like the Knicks have been in the lead offense. It hasn't really been because of three-point shooting. There isn't right. a ton of space to operate with to begin with. So he's already having to work hard to get the openings that he has. Yeah. And again, like, there are pockets for him to improve in that within that. Mm. But, like, it's already tough. So when he feels like he's actually getting missed, on one of the few opportunities that he has, I can understand how it becomes even more of an issue for him. And as we've all, as you both said, like maybe Snapchat isn't the outlet for him, or at the very least, like like have a private Snapchat so you can kind of vent. And then like some of the <laughs> right. some of the fans that you've already had interactions with, like they already kind of know. All right, let's keep this in house. Like we feel you though, type me because like there are so many people that just see stuff just so they can get the retweets or get the NBA central quote tweet or whatever yeah. the case may be. So like he just has to be worried of that kind of stuff. That's just social media large. And right. that's a whole nother podcast we can do yeah. about yeah. how messy all of that's gotten. <laughs> but ultimately like I, I feel him. I feel him. There's, yeah. there's growth for everyone involved in this area. Yeah. Or just call us, man. You know, Mitch has got a t-shirt from this, from this <laughs> that's channel. Right. He can just reach out to CP. He say, yo, man. CP. I'm feeling, a little, I'm feeling a little pressure right, right. now. You know, I need right. a little more offensive touches. Just, just tell the fans to back off, man. So now we feel, and listen, e- even as as mere mortals as we are, you go to LA Fitness, you go pick up, play a pickup basketball game, you're not playing too many games with, with a unit that's not passing you to rock. You know what I mean? You're going to leave and go find something else to do, go work out or something. Because it was, who, who wants to do that? So I feel him. And, and then he also, you know, talked because fans got on him about being injured and injury prone. He said, listen, I play hard. And I felt about him. He does. I, I said, Leo, listen, he's, he's got a point, man. He plays hard. Injury risk is going to come with that. It, it, that's that's not his fault. So I felt him on that. You know, I I definitely felt him on that. Um, but let, let's switch gears out to the Denver Nuggets, the opponent that's coming into uh, MSG, man. Yeah. So, Nikias, you know, we, we got this game coming up. We have to know what 
has made the Nuggets so successful this season. So what are your thoughts on them? Uh, they are a very, very good basketball team. Uh, this recent slide from them, notwithstanding, uh, top of the West by a pretty solid margin for a reason. That starts with Nikola Jokic, who has been, at worst, a top three player in basketball. I do not feel like getting into a full-blown MVP debate today. We've all Darn. seen where that conversation yeah. is turned. We're about to go full on in. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> at worst, he's having a top three season in the NBA. Correct. We will put Correct. it that way. Correct. But no, the uh, the scoring, the efficiency from him, uh, the passing, he, he's the best passing big man in NBA history. Like we can, we can just be frank and honest about that. But he is kind of the son in which the uh, Nuggets are centered around. Uh, it's been nice to see Jamal Murray stay mostly healthy this year. Uh, the ramp up period has been a um, bit of an inconsistent one to start the year, as mm-hmm. you would expect. But he's had some moments where he's just averaging 25 over a 10 or 12 game stretch. It's like, ah, he looks back. That's kind of scary because they're already scoring at a, a ridiculous rate with Jokic on the floor. If Murray's cooking too. You get the shooting from Michael Porter Jr. You get these seals and these dunks from Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. You got KCP who, you know, for the first portion of the season was leading the NBA in three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. If you got all this, I don't know how you guard this team. So the offense is what spearheads this. The defense has been a point of contention for Denver all year long. Beginning of the year, it was flat-out awful. This is a team that wants to put two on the ball. They play Jokic high up and pick and roll. That requires a lot of level of connectivity on the back end that they can't afford to slip on beginning of the year was bad. I remember writing about it early in, I think first day of December, it was like, what's wrong with Denver's defense. They were 25th and half court defense, 25th and transition defense, all a mess. Mm-hmm. Something clicked. They weren't an elite defense, but like they were around the top 10 area in terms of points allowed per mm-hmm. possession for like a month and a half. And it's like, Oh, they're doing the little things. They're getting the activity from Jokic. If they're getting this level of defense, doesn't have to be elite, just has to be solid. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit more than solid for that month and a half, two months. They get that plus the offense. This is where it went from Denver's the three or four seed to they lead the lead the West by like eight games. Right. And over this recent stretch, the defense has fallen back. Mm. Lack of connectivity on the back end. Even Jokic coming up to the level, not getting up to the level at the same with the same juice. The help is either off target or not on time, or it's just small. Even when they do the right things. And then the offense, still very good, still scored a lot. But the Jokic post touches coming a little bit higher out on the floor. Teams able to push them off. Jamal Murray with more of a burden having to carry a second unit for Denver that frankly has just been one of the worst in the league uh, post-All-Star break. And so you get enough of that working against each other, and then that's where you get the Bulls lost at home. And that's mm. when you get the Spurs, Spurs. lost. Which Spurs. That, like one, the Spurs. We, we got to give some love to the not too many people outside of San Antonio watching the Spurs, especially <laughs> second half of the year. We know right. where they want to land in terms of draft lottery, but like they have some guys that can score on that team. Yeah, but even then, like the defensive effort from the Nuggets, mm. awful. It was probably the worst it had been that season. And, and so, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you, like, so, and with, like, this most recent losing streak, right, losing to the Bulls, the Spurs, the Nets, like, that doesn't give you any concern for the Nuggets going into the playoffs? That, that's um, what I want. That's wonder. what like, I've been trying to Yeah, that's what I want. That's what I've been trying to wrestle with, because it's like, if they play like this, they're going to lose. Like, that's very duh analysis. And, like, we knew heading into the year, there's a certain level of defense that Denver has to play in order to be successful. Because the offense, I, I I don't have, like, big offensive concerns for Denver. <laughs> like, I will keep an eye on, like, something that Philly did during their first matchup. People remember it for the, the Embiid-Jokic matchup, whatever. <laughs> but late in the second quarter and most of the second half, it was P.J. Tucker on Jokic and Joel Embiid on Aaron Gordon and just kind of roaming around the basket. <laughs> and they've done that 
Uh, Minnesota has done that in the game post all-star break. More teams are starting to put a forward on Jokic to kind of bother those handoffs above the break. And with Aaron Gordon not being a threat in a three-point shooter, they just stash their center on him so they can keep a guy near the paint. And that kind of takes away some of the cuts um, that they're so effective on. And so, like, that's something that's worth keeping an eye on. But overall, like, I don't have big issues. Like, you got Jokic on the floor, you're going to score 115, 120 points. That's just kind of how that goes. Um, with the defense, yeah, it's just they have to nail those things. They are not a team with a margin of error. Because of what Jokic is as a defender, and I wrote about this, like, I don't think he's a bad defender. I think he's a limited one. There is one pick-and-roll coverage that works for him, and that is him being at the level. Or I guess technically, too, being at the level of trapping the ball handler. Mm. He's large. He's hard to pass over. He's hard to drive around. And he has really, really, really good hands. And this is why he's always up there in terms of steals per games percentage. Those are the coverages that he works. If you switch Jokic, you have a problem on your hands. Mm. If you have Jokic in a drop, you have a problem on the hands. And so Denver, they don't have the defensive versatility scheme-wise that you would normally attribute to a number one seed. That doesn't mean that they can't come out the West. I think they're very much talented enough to do so. But that means they have to nail the coverage that they're good. Mm. And so, like, even during the streak, it was less that they were playing more drop than usual and those possessions were predictably bad. But, like, you watch enough Denver, you know that. If Jokic is in a drop, and he's had growth within the drop over the last two years, but he's just bad at it like trying to get the angles right. Like there isn't a vertical pop. So if you're able to get behind them, lobs are going to be there. We saw that in the Pistons game last night and they ended that game, I think on like a 26 to four run or something like that. It was looking bad early on. Um, but like if they're in dropper to doing something more conservative, we know it's bad. And so for me, what was concerning is that they were naturally bad in the drop. They were also bad at like their base coverage and the one that they're supposed to be good at. Mm. And when they're bad at that, when the rotations aren't tight there, when Jokic is a step late getting up to the level, when that's happening, they have no chance at stopping teams. Mm. And if they can't nail their base coverage, then yeah, that's where, hey, what happens if they get the Lakers in the eight seed or whatever? Right. That's when that talk perks up and that's when it becomes real if they aren't able to nail that. If they're able to nail that and you kind of bank in, all right, if they're in a drop, you're going to have pull-up opportunities or whatever the case may be. You just kind of eat that. That's just the roster construction that Denver has. Um, so I, I I just keep an eye on that. And I'm wondering how much of that is just, this is just a lull. It's a yeah. long season. Like teams have that. And something that uh, Steve hit on not too long ago, he's like, I feel like a lot of the angst about Denver having this stretch is that normally Denver just has this in like January. Mm. And because they had this extended stretch of excellence, now they're having the losing streak in March where they've already built this lead. So it doesn't hurt them, hurt them. But you ramp in the MVP conversation on top of this. And now it's now we get in the compilations of Jokic bad defense in a random March game on top of Embiid's drop 40 again. And all this good stuff. And now it all just feels worse. And so I'm not, I'm trying like not to get there where it's like, oh, this is a, this is a red flag, whatever, whatever. Mm. I knew if Denver wasn't going to defend at a high level or if they weren't going to be good in their base coverage, it's going to be bad. Like we should yeah. all expect that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's that been Denver, right? They've always had an elite de- uh, offense, especially when Jokic has been on point. But it's defense. Can they play a championship-caliber defense? And I looked. I think this is their, their deepest roster. They added a KCP, a, a Bruce Brown. You like Aaron Gordon defensively. You know, Jeff Green has been a vet. But it just doesn't – doesn't. Uh, you're just not sure. Because if you play a Suns or even the Lakers, that 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 with the Lakers upgrades, who, who might be able to get you in, in the mid-range and, and have some capable scoring, I think it could be a tough, tough one for that number one seed Denver Nuggets, man. No, no, no question about it. And once again, we're, we're talking to uh, Nikias Duncan, 
who covers the NBA for basketballnews.com, as well as the Dunker Spot podcast. And, you know, look, in this matchup with Jokic coming to town, this is a tough one for Mitchell Robinson, man. It always has been. How do you think the Knicks need to approach this Jokic matchup, man? This, this is always a tough one for them, especially when they come to the Garden. Knicks have, rarely have success against Jokic when he's healthy against Denver. How do you see them approaching this defensively? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, boy. Um, A whole lot of praying? No, in all seriousness. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We saw you. We saw you right here, Nikai. We, we now get, we got you. <laughs> No, I will say, like, provided the front court is healthy in there, like, I do wonder if we see that gambit that we're talking about to where you, you put Randall on Jokic and then you have Mitch mm-hmm. Robinson kind of roam around. Like, I I think that's something they would be more inclined to at least try if Jalen Brunson was also there. Mm-hmm. But because they are relying more on Julius Randall offensively, I don't think we see that. Yeah, and so it's going to be Mitchell Robinson. You got to pull the shorts up, got to tie the shoes a little extra tight. Got to eat your Wheaties. Got yeah. to get your get your playlist playlist right as you're heading to the arena. It's going to be a tough one. Send help where you can. Um, Tibbs team they like the over, they like the overload aside. So I would imagine a lot of early help and then seeing you for some turnovers there. Um, but other than that, like I don't know how many like pure doubles we see yeah. from New York in this game. Uh, I think it's just going to be a lot of help peeled in early, force Jokic to make skips and pray that they miss. Um. I, I that would be how I would approach it from them. Like, again, like the Randall on Jokic have Mitchell Robinson game, it would be cool if Randall wasn't relied upon so much offensively. So outside of that, it's just going to be showing early help and doing the best you can within that. You know, looking at that where you have to probably double Nico Jokic, I feel like the Knicks' best chance is to match that. You're hoping that Randall has like a good offensive game that day and, you know, hopefully have Brunson back because it's a Murray-Jokic show going against a Brunson Randall show. And I feel like if we, if the Knicks can somehow expose them defensively, that's going to be their main success. I think, I think on the defensive side, it's going to be a difficult matchup for Mitch. You know, the Knicks didn't play uh, Denver with Jokic the first time. So we, this will be the first showing of what Jokic has been for the Knicks this season. And I'm just looking on the offensive side for the Knicks to, to stay afloat in this game. I would say on that front, if I can go back to the the Heat Knicks game that I was at in Miami, like it was a lot. And I ended up writing about this as well. Um, what they did with Kevin Love, it was a lot of we're going to empty this corner or empty this side. We know that you're coming to the level. We will wait out this hedge or whatever, and then we'll attack from there or we'll attack early. And so I would imagine 
if there's a Jokic specific game plan there, it would probably be running higher pick and rolls or just getting to the wing, kind of clearing that side mm-hmm. and really forcing that back line of Denver to make decisions, like dare them to be in the right spots at the right time. Um, and then also like space, Michael Porter Jr. maybe one pass away, which seems counterintuitive, but if he's not the low man, the help is just small. It's Jamal Murray having to make that rotation now at the rim. It's Contavious Caldwell Pope having to make that rotation at the rim now. And so New York may be able to get enough juice out of that. Um, <clears throat> we'll see what like the clear outs, what Julius Randle looked like. Yeah. Like, I think Denver will, should be able to kind of load up pretty decently there because, again, the Knicks haven't been a great three-point shooting team this season. So there's room there. I think this should be a pick-and-roll-based game plan for New York in this one. Yeah, and it'll either be Jalen Brunson or it might be Emmanuel Quickly, who's done a good job out of that as well. So we'll we'll see how that plays out. Now, the benches, I got to give the Knicks the edge. As you said, man, this is from a net rating standpoint, this is the best bench right now in the NBA. The hard acquisition has been incredible from his rebounding prowess being a one-man fast break. Uh, Quickly, we we talked about his his growth and development. I think Isaiah Hartenstein is playing um, as the player that the Knicks thought they were going to get as a backup five. He, he's been aggressive. He's given them a lot of hustle. His rebounding has been better, especially on the defensive side. That wasn't his strength with the Clippers at all. I think Hartenstein is picking his game up, and then you're seeing Toppin add some efficiency to his limited minutes behind Julius Randle as well, man. Uh, how do you see the battle of the benches playing out? Uh, yeah, this will be short. I, I, the Knicks <laughs> just have so much of a better bet. I've had, honestly, as we talk a little bit about Denver's and their struggles, like the defense overall, I think is the big thing. I have more of an issue with the Dem- with Denver's second unit than I do with the defense. I think a lot of that is going to be effort and execution based. They just don't have reliable bench pieces. Mm. Like Reggie Jackson was supposed to be a guy to kind of calm things down the second unit more so than a bone Thailand who hate, who may have more talent right now. Even now he's getting DMPs in LA right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but have more talent, but, kind of went rogue offensively and that was some stuff between him and Mike Malone, coach Michael Malone, excuse me. Um, but Reggie, the, the acquisition just has not hit. He hasn't been able to knock down shots. And that takes a lot of the, the wind out of what Reggie to the second unit could be. Uh, they made the trade for Thomas Bryant. And that was one I was skeptical of from the start where mm-hmm. it was like, Hey, I understand what he could bring in terms of the spacing mm-hmm. and some of the pick and roll finishing. The defense is just really bad. And if you already have issues about, okay, how limited is Jokic scheme-wise, like Thomas Bryant doesn't help. And it got to the point where he was just flat-out benched. Well, he's played the last couple of games. But anytime you see Jeff Green at the five and Thomas Bryant has zero minutes in his game log, it's like, ah, it has gone the other way. That is not what you want. Yeah. Um, so I ultimately, I, I think the Knicks have a big edge with the second unit. And um, I think as Alex talked about a little bit, or you and Alex talked about a little bit earlier, with RJ kind of filtering in with those second units as well. It's going to be RJ plus that Knicks bench versus Jamal Murray in that Nuggets bench. And I won't rule out Jamal Murray just being on the heater because he can just do that. Mm. But heading into the game, like you should expect big pluses from the Knicks bench in this one. I mean, according to Reggie Miller, we have, you know, Nico Jokic of the wet of the East with, uh, you know, Isaiah Hartenstein. So that is, we, we should be all set right there, right? Oh, man. I, man, as, as a Hartenstein stand uh, that Steve made fun of me about, when I was very excited about the Knicks signing. So the was I, man. Me. me too. I was like, oh, this is great. I feel so much better about this. And then for the first month and a half of the year, they just did not use him as a hub at all. It was just screen and get out the way. And then the rebounding was there. I was like, well, Gotta hand it to Steve. This is cool. So I would not call him Jokic, but I do think he is very useful (laughs) as a passing hub. The rebounding, the defense in general has really perked up in a way that they needed for it to perk up, especially under Tibbs. I think that's the other part too. Like 
yeah, the passing stuff is cool, whatever. If we can't trust you to be on the floor and get stops, we will just go elsewhere. And this is why we saw some Jericho Sims earlier in the right. year. Like, now nah, we we will just have a vertical presence at the rim if you're not going to do that. That other stuff is cool. We don't need you for this offense. Uh, but it's, it's been nice to watch him perk up as well. And, again, th- that Knicks second unit is just so fun and it's so good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with that second unit, it's – it's really been, especially when Manuel Quickly's been there. Josh Hart is just, as you as you noted, has just been so vital to what the Knicks do, especially out in transition. Like this, for for parts of the to begin the season, Knicks out in transition was a struggle. Hart now adds that that dimension back. Like when we got Derrick Rose two seasons ago, and with Hart, you know, he's looking out for Obi Toppin. You know, rebounding, he's just looking to go. He keeps his head up. He can find anybody. But then you just add him to a Tom Thibodeau defensive oriented team, and that. It's just taking another level defensively in my in my eyes. Like the defense has also stepped up, even when we had McBride uh, out there after the nine man rotation change. But now that you get some more offense, which is all which has been a struggle for McBride, although he's been he played well against the Lakers and the Trailblazers. You add that for that second unit, it's just it's back to being one of the better second units in the NBA. Even though when you look statistically across like all the all, all the stats, it's not there on, on the season as a whole. But as a reason, they're pretty strong. But Nikias, before we get you out of here, I, we got to get your score prediction of this game. Ah, <laughs> oh, a score prediction of the game. Score. I am going to. Huh, I'll try my best. Um. Hmm. One twenty-three, one eighteen, Denver. Mm. One twenty-three, one eighteen, Denver. Mm. One twenty-three to one. That is tough. It's tough to hear. It, it is tough. I'm trying to. You know, I, I was going to play to the crowd. It's like, oh, ah, let, let me be honest. You know how I'm feeling. I, I do think we get a, a good Jokic offensive game in this one. Uh, mm. My apologies to everyone that's listening. Like, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. Never mind, he sucks. He hates us. Uh, uh, and I thought you were coming on here to make peace with Knicks fans. <laughs> <laughs> CP, what, what do you got for this game? Oh man, you want me to be realistic? If I get if I get realistic, they're gonna they're gonna throw tomatoes at me in the chat when they're watching this. Um, oh my goodness gracious! See, what are we doing? Yo, it's, I feel a little bit oh, better now. Man, I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself because they're gonna air me out on uh on Twitter. Um, it depends on if Brunson comes back. We'll see what happens. But if no Brunson matinee game, you got Jokic coming in town, and Denver's desperate right now. They've they've lost three in a row. They've gotten embarrassed. They're gonna come with some pride. He got the yoke. I think it's gonna be tough, man. I say one twenty to one eighteen. I think they, uh, I think they edged the Knicks out. Sorry, sorry, fans. It's the first show we've done where I picked against a team. I'm just, I just, I'm just being realistic, bro. I'm just being a little. It, it's a tough matchup. We barely beat this team. We barely, we just beat them on the road. Uh, the when we started West Coast trip with no Jokic, and that with that they had to sweat it out. It's, it's tough, man. It's gonna be tough. I expected better from you, CP. I really did. Save it, Alex. Save so, it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Save the show. I am going. It's going to be a battle. Do not get me wrong. Yeah. It's going to be a battle. I'm going Knicks in this one. It will be it's the Denver offense. I got to account, account for. Yeah. I'm going to go 125-122 Knicks. Okay. 125-122. Okay. There it is, man. So uh, let's see how that plays out. But Nikias, man, we, we definitely uh, appreciate the time and the insight. Always a pleasure, man. And, and hopefully we could do this again, man. 
Thanks again. Oh, uh, yeah. If, if I'm allowed back, I'm down to come back on. You know, I know I threw some uh, cold water <laughs> on the show at the end there. But, no, it's been a blast. I appreciate y'all. Keep doing what you're doing. And, again, let's let's make it rock. Let's do it, man.